0: So this morning we're going to read Romans 5, 1 through 11, though we're really going to be just focusing on one verse from Romans chapter 5, that's verse 3, but we want to look at it in context, and so we're going to read verses 1 through 11 this morning. And as you find Romans 5, 1 through 11, I want you to know that we're here because Jesus has something really important to say to us about the role of suffering in the Christian's life. Right now, all of us are suffering in one degree or another. Some of us are suffering because we are sick, Some of us are suffering because we are mourning, and in this time of social distancing, that suffering is compounded because we're tragically doing it either alone or virtually, which, while not nothing, is not a perfect substitute for mourning physically with other people who you love. Some of us this morning are suffering from broken hearts and from frayed and shattered relationships. Some of us are suffering from loneliness— And from fear about our financial health. Now, while all of these forms of suffering are not new, they are coming at us in a compounded and intense way. And that's why right now, I think that as Christians, we have a unique opportunity, uh, even I think an obligation, to learn how to respond to all this suffering in a way that glorifies Jesus and blesses those who are around us. Because there's different ways of responding to suffering, aren't there? There's a way of responding to suffering that creates bitter, shriveled, angry hearts. There's a way of responding to suffering that creates hearts and lives that close themselves off to Jesus and to others. And as Romans 5 verse 3 tells us, there is a way to respond to suffering through Jesus that actually increases our experience of God's love, and that helps us become better at showing that love to those who are around us. That actually helps us to open our lives in service to others and in joyful hope in life with the living God. And since that's what Romans 5 verse 3 tells us Jesus wants from us, that response is what we're going to talk about this morning. And here's how we're going to do that. We're first going to reflect on why Jesus' cross and resurrection turns suffering into a way to experience God's love. Then, second, we're going to look at why the right response to suffering deepens the experience of God's love. And then, finally, third, we're going to look at how to pursue that response by faith. So, why Jesus' cross and resurrection turns suffering into a way to experience God's love? which is a surprising thing, but it's a true thing. We'll look at that. Second, why the right response to suffering deepens the experience of God's love. And then finally, how to pursue that response by faith. Uh, So let's read Romans 5, 1 through 11, and then we'll do our best to reflect on these verses so that we can understand how through Jesus, our God uses suffering as a way to make his love more real in our lives, and then also more real in the lives of those who are around us. It's Romans 5, starting in the first verse. Let's hear God's word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Let us pray together. Our trying God, we desire this morning to learn how suffering well in Jesus produces hope in our lives. And we pray, therefore, Father, that you would enable us to have ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word. That the words of my mouth, as your preacher, and the meditation of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, to the end that our lives will be transformed during this season more and more into the image of Jesus. And we ask this all in His name, Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so as we start thinking about how uh, Jesus's cross and resurrection is the thing that God is the thing that God uses to turn our suffering into a main way to experience His love. I want you to notice a couple things from our context this morning. First, notice that everything Paul says is connected directly to his point in verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that verse is summarizing what Paul has been saying in chapters one through three, which is this. We are all sinners. No matter how great our lives are, we have all fallen short of God's glory, which pursues justice and kindness and human flourishing and peace and in love. So therefore, we all deserve judgment and justice because we have all broken love and peace and human flourishing. We have not always been kind nor have we always been just. We deserve judgment. But as we reflected on all last week during Holy Week, our God of love is rich in mercy and he wants to live with us. So he sends the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, to take on true human flesh so that he can suffer justice for our sins for us on the cross. And then after his death and burial, rise again on the third day for our eternal life, that is, our eternal relationship in peace with him. So through faith in Jesus' cross... And through faith in his resurrection, we are saved from our sins and brought into a relationship with God that results in peace today. As Paul says in verse one, we have peace with God, not we will have peace or we had peace but we lost it. Right now, through faith in Jesus, Christians have peace with God. Now central to the point that Paul has been making and that Paul is going to go on to make and that we are focusing on this morning, Is this the love of God that has chased us down and that has brought us near has done so through the suffering and the crucifixion of Jesus in Paul's argument here and in the Bible you cannot separate God's love for us from his entering into suffering for us in Jesus God's love comes to us in our suffering through his own suffering for us on the cross. The cross of Jesus is central and definitional to the love of God. And of course, so is the resurrection. Because as we thought about last Sunday, Jesus' resurrection from the dead is what blesses us with these eternal relationships That we have together with God as his people. So if God's love comes to us through his suffering on the cross, and if it remains with us because of the eternal life which he now gives us through his Holy Spirit and forever because of his own resurrection from the dead, then the cross and the resurrection of Jesus are central to what it means When we hear John tell us, for instance, in 1 John, that God is love. And to what Jesus means when he says that God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. And to what we hear Paul say in verse 5 of our chapter this morning, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because, as he says in verse 6, God's love is shown through Christ dying for the ungodly. That's the first context point. God's love is defined by and comes through suffering and crucifixion so that it can be ours forever through his resurrection. Here's the second context point. Notice that the cross and the resurrection and the peace we have with Jesus gives Christians three things to rejoice in in this chapter. Did you notice that? Uh, In verse 2, we're told that because we have been justified by faith, We Christians rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then, of course, verse 3, which we'll reflect on more closely in a second, we're told that we rejoice in our sufferings. And then down in verse 11, we're told, More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. So briefly, uh, when Paul says that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, it's important that you understand that for Paul, hope doesn't mean something that you wish would happen. Now that's how we use the word hope, right? I hope it doesn't rain. I hope we can still have the church camp. right? Hope expresses desires that we want to be fulfilled but are not sure will be fulfilled. But that isn't what Paul means by hope. When Paul uses the word hope, He means the promises of God that we are waiting for him to reveal to us. And I don't want to get into the weeds on this, but you can look at Romans 8 verse 24 later, where Paul is talking about the second coming of Jesus and the new creation, right, God's promises, which are sure and true. And there Paul will say, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, then we wait for it with patience. So all that to say, because God's love comes to us in the cross and resurrection, we get to rejoice in the hope of living with God in resurrected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth forever. Meaning that while we live here, we live lives shaped By trust in God's sure but not yet revealed promise that Jesus is returning and that things like COVID-19 and death and suffering will be banished forever. Now let's skip verse 3 for a second and let's skip to Paul's point in verse 11, where we're told that we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know it can sound strange to say that we rejoice in God. But notice the end of this verse tells us that this rejoicing comes from our reconciliation to God. Now, kids, I know that reconciliation is a big word, but what it means is fixing a relationship. Now, adults, parents, right, we can have a really academic approach to big theological words like reconciliation. We can think in terms of penalties and payments and debt forgiveness and... That can actually be very helpful when thinking about the word justification, but not so much the word reconciliation. We need to think in terms of emotions and life, because reconciliation means a broken relationship that has been restored. So what Paul is saying is this, if I can reword the verse a little bit, we rejoice in our current peaceful relationship with God which we have through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So the three things we're told we get to rejoice in through the love of God that comes to us through the cross of Jesus and that is eternally given to us through the resurrection of Jesus is our hope that someday soon, we pray, that relationship will take place in perfect perfection in resurrected bodies. And that right now, we have a fixed, restored relationship with God through the love that comes to us through Jesus. And then also, Paul's startling statement in verse three, that we rejoice in our sufferings because of the way that God uses suffering in our lives. Now obviously we're moving to verse three, but let me just say this in transition. It shouldn't surprise us that between our present relationship with the triune God And our future hope stands suffering. Because isn't that how Jesus' life among us was lived, right? He had a real and present relationship with the Father that led to glory. But it did so through the suffering of the cross. And if we are going to look like Jesus, our life is going to have the same kind of shape. Okay, so then why are we to rejoice in our sufferings? And here we're we're moving to our second point, which is why the right response to suffering deepens the experience of God's love for us and then also for those around us. And the answer to that question is because of what suffering ultimately produces in us. As Paul says, it ultimately produces hope. So the first thing Paul says is we know that suffering Produces endurance. Now, the word for suffering there is a pretty general word for pain. It's used in the Bible and in literature contemporary with the Bible to describe everything from deeply uncomfortable emotions and thoughts, all the way to describing famine and war and even the final judgment of God. And I think that's important for us to know because every day we experience various forms of suffering. Sometimes that suffering can be in the form of very uncomfortable emotions or disturbing thoughts. Sometimes our suffering can be extreme and raw, like when we're, we're grieving the death of a relationship or the death of a loved one. Sometimes our suffering is physical, whether that's physical suffering, like so many forms of depression, uh, to suffering from cuts or broken bones or diseases like cancer or, of course, COVID 19. Sometimes our suffering comes and goes with the night. Sometimes it lingers on for far too long. But no matter what kind or duration, Paul says that for the Christian, through Jesus' cross and resurrection, which has poured the love of God into our hearts, it produces endurance. And by endurance here, Paul doesn't mean an increased ability to lift heavy weights or to run faster. He means... The ability to walk in godliness more consistently. And we know that because as Paul goes on, while he's going to take some detours from his point here, as he talks about how a grace has set us free from sin because Jesus is our second Adam. He'll do that from Romans 5, verse 12 through sort of chapter 7. And how nothing in all of creation can separate us from God's love. It's chapter 8. And how election matters in chapter 9 through 11. But then he'll return to this point. And he'll pick it up in chapter 12 with a call for us to offer our lives to God as living sacrifices. And then he'll go on from there to talk about what that kind of offering looks like. It looks like learning to love genuinely. Learning to cling to what is good while rejecting what is evil how to be patient in trial, how to rejoice in hope, how to be generous and humble in the trust of the Lord. You see, Paul focuses on the ability of trials and tribulations to produce the endurance of godliness in us because they give us the chance to learn how to say no to the temptation to leave Jesus and to try other paths and by teaching us how to say yes to Jesus, and enduring yes to Jesus, even when it gets hard. And by the way, that temptation to abandon faithfulness is something that our Lord Jesus himself experienced his whole life. Though you might think, uh, in light of uh, Holy Week, which we just came through, you might think particularly about Jesus' suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane as a place where it was particularly important that he endured in suffering Not my will, but yours be done, he said, while sweating drops of blood. An enduring yes of faithfulness. See, for us, suffering is a platform to learn how to show loyalty to Jesus. And then through being loyal to Jesus by his grace, learning to show patience and godliness and mercy and kindness to others. It's the platform that allows us to learn how to be generous while we ourselves are experiencing loss. Again, like Jesus, who gave us the riches of his relationship with the Father while mysteriously losing them on the cross, right? Think about it. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in terms of God's love, think about Jesus' own words, right? Truer love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. Or to put it another way, Jesus is telling us that for God, the highest expression of love is found in sacrifice. It's found in the context of suffering. So if we are going to learn endurance and godliness, that is, learning to love as Jesus does, then we actually need the context of suffering in order to learn to love God the way Jesus himself has loved us. Now, having said all of that, I hope you can see why Paul says that endurance produces character. So there's two things here I want to look at. First, the basic word, the basic definition of the word character is impression. So kids, a long time ago, before there were computers or pencils, people would write by cutting letters out of wood or stone something hard and then they would make clay and then they press that letter down into the clay and when they pull it out the shape of that letter would have been pushed into the clay right that's what an impression meant to leave a deep and lasting mark and then that idea was applied to us to the way that we press down into each other's lives and mark each other so if suffering produces in us godliness and love that endures and persists then it produces godly character because that endurance shapes us into a particular kind of person you know, the person who looks like Jesus and it's that character that Impression that impact that it makes on the lives of others around us that Jesus is focusing on here. By living like Jesus in suffering, our character makes his impression on the lives of those who are around us. Which is why the result of, char- of that character, that Christ-like character, is hope. Now, my guess is if you're kind of keeping Paul's use of the word hope in mind, right, trusting in a promise of God that you're still waiting for him to reveal, that the idea that our character produces hope might surprise you, right? I know it did me. I mean, after all, isn't our hope produced by Jesus? Aren't the promises we are waiting to be revealed the result of Jesus' work alone? Yes, they are. So what does Paul mean here? Well, as I thought about this and I prayed about it, I think I have an answer that can help us. Paul chooses the word hope to describe how we are living now while we wait for Jesus to reveal his final promises at his return and put everything right. In contrast, Paul doesn't use the word wait very often, and he never uses phrases like hang on or, you know, bide your time. And here's why, I think. Uh, When we think about hope and when the ancients thought about hope, there is an element of happiness, of joy. And when we describe people who have a kind of joy or happiness about them, we describe them as hopeful. And I think that's important here. I think that Paul wants that kind of joyful, happy aspect included in our hearts and minds as we wait for Jesus. So that hope does not mean bare knuckle hanging on. It doesn't mean apathetic waiting. It means having a joyful, happy perspective and approach to waiting for Jesus. It's a longing that has something good attached to it. And the way that godly character relates to producing a joyful longing is this. Uh, the more we live faithfully with Jesus, the more we know him, right? As James says, as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. The more we experience the effects of his presence and his power in, of his word in our lives, the more we grow in the assurance that we are his and he is ours and he is with us, And the more we can enter into the confidence that Paul confessed in Romans 8 that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. That produces joyful waiting because you are closer to Jesus and you trust him more and more to bring about his promises into reality. Character, which is the shape of Jesus we receive as we endure over time, produces joyful hope in us as we long for the promise of Jesus' return while we are living with him in the present. And then because that is connected to a relationship with the God who is love and mercy and kindness, that hope then is infectious and it's spreading. How come you serve without looking for thanks? How can you be generous when you've been laid off? Uh, How can you forgive them after what they did to you? How can you face the guilt that comes when you have to say sorry? And how do you say sorry so often? How can you mourn without being overwhelmed by sorrow? Those are the kinds of questions that get asked to people who are hopeful. And the answer is, I hope we share with them, well, I've learned to hope in the glory of God. How have you learned that? by prayerfully working hard every day to meet suffering with the love that God has poured into my heart through faith in Jesus. And then they can reply, can't they? I wish I was as good as you, and I could learn that. And then we should say, Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am not better than you. I've just been given a gift, and you can have that gift too, If you join me in trusting Jesus, right, hope is infectious and godly character produces hope. But that doesn't just happen, does it? Um, So we've talked about why. Now I want to talk about our final point, which is how we pursue this kind of growth by faith. So the way that Paul talks here kind of makes it sound like this is the inevitable outcome of suffering in the Christian's life. But that's only if we read it outside of the, the rest of what Jesus says in Romans and the rest of what Jesus says in the Bible. Right? This progression only happens as we follow Jesus by faith. But that following isn't automatic, is it? As Paul will talk about in Romans 7, the Christian's heart on this side of glory is always divided between godliness and sin. And we know that if we are not prayerfully intentional, we are likely, I think even maybe more than likely, to default to the sinful response to suffering, to cursing and blame in bitter, angry outbursts, and then, of course, to fear that leads to a loss of trust in Jesus and to the growth of our worst enemy, which is pride. So how do we then follow Jesus well in the various trials that we're in? How do we follow Jesus well now, today? Well, the first way that we follow Jesus well is by intentionally turning to our God in prayer. Because prayer is both a main way of fostering our relationship with Jesus And because prayer is also a main way of asking Jesus for help. So, prayer that you would show patience. That your heart would be protected from bitterness through God's empowering forgiveness and wise generosity in your life. Uh, By praying that you would be uh, kind in your words and loving in your actions, even though uh, as you're saying them and expressing them, you are doing so in a context of hurt and pain. Daily prayer weekly prayer, intentionally setting aside times for prayer and sticking to them, that is essential. But so is actually doing the things you've asked God to empower you to do. Uh, Because in this area, well, prayer is a way that Jesus gives us immeasurable and real help. He has not designed prayer to be a substitute for our own actions. And the reason is clear if you think about endurance. You don't get stronger by watching other people work out. You don't grow in patience without actually practicing patience. Right? Jesus implants patience in you by the Holy Spirit, but you don't get better at using it until you actually try to use it. And the same is true of generosity, humility, forgiveness, and all the other godly attributes that Jesus gives to his people as his free gift, right? You cannot grow in godly endurance that yields hope in yourself and others without actually working hard to follow Jesus. Without, for example, biting back bitter words and then swapping them with words of kindness in his name. Without actually acting out forgiveness rather than just saying, it's okay, you're forgiven, whatever. And without actually working to own your bad behavior and to replace it with righteous behavior when you've sinned. Right? Repentance. You cannot grow in godly endurance that yields hope without actually being generous to others with your time and your finances and your skills. Because godliness, that is God's love, looks like those things and more expressed through the cross of Christ. That is how God's love grows in expression in our lives in suffering and trial. It looks like acting out love. Which brings me then to the third, and at least for this morning, final way that we pursue this growth of godliness in our lives, and that is repentance. So you are not Jesus, who is godliness incarnate, right? Who is God's love made flesh. <coughs> you will fail. So what you need to do when that happens is repent. Uh, You need to go to the person you failed and to Jesus and confess your sin to both of them. And you need to ask for forgiveness. And then you need to work and ask for help in working to do the righteous thing the next time. And I know that all of that sounds hard. And it is hard. But that difficulty is also part of our suffering that produces godliness. It's part of the way that we learn to die to ourselves and live to Jesus. It's part of how our pride decreases and how our trust for Jesus and his presence in our life increases. Prayer, intentional action, and repentance are the three things that produce godly endurance in character and infectious hope. And so all of this is why I said at the very beginning that this moment in time is very important for us. We are all suffering, and we are all suffering together, and not just here in our Grace Church community, but in our country and even around the world. And now, in this context, we who have met the love of God through His sufferings and who grow in the love of God in our own sufferings through Jesus' suffering, can express the love of God to those around us who are suffering in this shared time of trial. What an opportunity for the world and for us to bring Jesus. So my friends, as we learn this, as we do this, we are doing something eternally important. We are receiving the impression of Jesus into our lives through faith in him. And by his grace, then, we are pressing that image that he is giving to us into the lives of others, which brings the hope of Jesus' promises more and more into focus in our own lives and into the lives of those around us. And so what we need to do this morning, beloved, is learn to suffer well. That is, learn to suffer prayerfully learn to suffer sacrificially in an action, and learn to suffer through repentance so that we can walk with Jesus and in walking with Jesus, grow in hope that what he has promised us is coming and that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And as that joy is expressed in our hearts and in our lives in a tangible, felt way, those around us will ask, Where are you getting this? And we will say, Jesus. Do you want to join me in relationship with him? Beloved, let's follow Jesus and join him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you this morning confessing that it is a hard thing to think about Um, how suffering is useful to us through Christ. But Lord, we know that you have used it to show to us a love which is immeasurable and immense and amazing and redemptive and reconciling. And so Father, we pray that as we go through this time of trial, and as we go through individual trials and suffering, that you would equip us uh, to go through them in a way that impresses the image of Jesus into our lives. Father, teach us to pray. Empower us to action and deepen our repentance so that we might look more like Jesus and grow in hope. And Lord, as we do that, please use our lives and our actions and our service to bring others to faith in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.